Welcome to Chapter 1 of HealthSystemCIO.com's interview with Chuck Christian, VP of Technology and Engagement with the Indiana Health Information Exchange. In this segment, Christian talks about the constant challenge his organization faces in providing clinicians with the data they need when they need it, how they're working to meet the needs of an extremely diverse membership, and the biggest obstacle that exists when it comes to incorporating social determinants into the care picture. HealthSystemCIO.com podcasts are sponsored by Improvada, the healthcare IT security company ranked number one by class for secure messaging and single sign-on. For more information, visit their website at Improvada.com. Thanks again for taking time to speak with us. It's, uh, it's great to be able to get your perspective on what's going on in the industry. Well, I uh, appreciate it. Thanks very much. I'm always glad to offer what little I know. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll start with something that you, you do know, which is uh, Indiana Health Information Exchange and really looking at, at what's new with the organization or what are some of the things that are really uh, top of mind for you guys right now as the year uh, comes to a close. Well, I mean, I think we're, you know, continue to look at, you know, what, what, what do we need to do next to continue to add value to our, our members uh, we've had a couple of really interesting projects that we've uh, done this year. Uh, one of the things that, you know, from the very beginning, clinicians said they didn't have access to the data. So, you know, once the uh, clinical data repository was stood up, you know, a long time ago, they had access to it and they were able to get to it, which they were very thankful for. Then it was, well, you know, I've now got an EMR. This is my workflow and I don't want to log into something else. And so, we were able to provide a, a, a single sign-on where they're looking at a patient within, in their EMR and they could click a button and it would open up our view of the longitudinal patient record in a patient context. So they were actually looking at the same patient they were looking at on the EMR. Hmm. And they said, well, man, that's great. And then after a while it says, you know, I really would like to see the data within my current workflow in the EMR. So that's kind of where we are today. We've come up with a couple of different ways of, of doing that, and we're kind of working at the speed of our members. We have one member who asked us to provide a, a pretty comprehensive amount of data so he could feed uh, uh, his clinically integrated network. Uh, so uh, when a patient gets registered in their system uh, because of the, the data governance, uh, they have access to the data, and so we can hand them a data file that they can incorporate into their their platform uh, and provide that to their to their analytics, to their clinicians, to whatever they they need to do within their clinically integrated network. Uh, the other thing that we've been able to do is, and uh, you know how difficult it is to take a lab result done somewhere else and move it into the workflow and have it stored inside an EMR because a variety of identifiers are just not there. Mm -hmm. So we work with one of our larger uh, health systems in Indianapolis because we've pretty well globally matched uh, the patient population. When that, that lab that comes from a reference laboratory comes to us, we can take a look at the, at the result to make sure that it has the appropriate long coding and then move their medical record number into the transaction. So when we send it into their EMR, 
their EMR knows what to do with it. They will actually put it within the workflow, the rest of the labs that they receive from their own lab system so the physicians can see the labs from outside and inside the organization. And then last but not least, what we've recently done is one of the things that, you know, I think I've probably mentioned before is some of the things the physicians ask us to do is don't give me a basket full of data and expect me to wade through it like a CCD. Right. And then the other thing they'd say is tell me what I don't know, but don't make me go look for it. So yeah. one of the things we've done with that same large health system is uh, using the fire protocols, uh, they've wanted a pilot to see if this would actually work within their Cerner platform. And uh, we worked with the ER physician and said, okay, what five pieces of information do you, you always want to get about a patient that walks into the emergency room with chest pain? Now, they picked the chest pain protocol. We didn't pick it. And so they came up with, here's the standard uh, five things that we look for every time we see a patient that has a diagnosis or a chief complaint of chest pain. And so what we do when the patient gets admitted in the emergency room with that chief complaint, we go into our data repository and fetch those five pieces of information regardless of where that information lives. It could be done at one of five different facilities or even maybe that own facility. And there's a button over on the screen. This was the current implementation of it. It can be done a variety of different ways and the physician can click on it and they can see those five pieces of information. And if they want to, if they're going to use that information for a clinical decision making, they can incorporate that into the EMR and make that part of the patient's permanent record. And so uh, there are other ways that we, we can do this as well, but the really nice thing about using the standard process is that we can now look at other chief complaints or other ways of determining here's some standard things that we always look for uh, for a patient that comes in with a specific chief complaint and so we're kind of fulfilling those those two requests of the physicians is not giving them extraneous data they have to wade through and we're telling mm -hmm. them what they don't know and then you know one of the other things that I think I've mentioned before is one of the ways that, that health information exchange can help have an impact upon the total cost of care is to avoid the duplication of testing. And we can use that same tech, those same techniques, say if a, if a physician is about to order a, an MRI or a CT or other expensive whatever, the system uh, will know what they're about to do and we can go and look in this lake of data to see if the patient has had that procedure anywhere else and say, you know, and kind of electronically tap the physician on the shoulder and say, excuse me, but this patient has had this very study two weeks ago or three weeks ago or within mm -hmm. a defined time frame, would you like to look at it? Right. And then uh, avoid a couple of different things, avoid the cost of the study, but also avoid uh, irradiating the patient again unnecessarily. Uh, there are many, many uh, instances that we've had conversation with physicians that have uh, postponed or canceled imaging studies because they, they found in their clinical data repository the fact that the patient had recently had that study. We had one, one instance where there was a young man having uh, difficulties with a chronic situation, and he was in six emergency rooms in six weeks and had five different CT scans. 
Oh, wow. Uh, and so the sixth physician, he got flagged, not in the fact that he looked at that and saw all those studies, and he actually used those other studies to help diagnose the young man and provide a better level of care. So for me, that's, that's the ultimate, is presenting yeah. information that will have an extremely positive and more timely outcome for the patient. Right. And the pilot that you did with the ER, ER doc uh-huh. with the, the chest pain that using the, the, uh, the standard criteria, right. so is that something that you think you would try to do in other places based on the results of that? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just brought that live last week. The reason we just didn't kind of, we didn't throw it out there, we wanted to look at things like performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wanted to look at physician use and, and habits and those type of things. And so we're working with the Rigor Street Institute and uh, several of their uh, informaticists and the ER physicians to uh, take a look at this. And the really nice thing about using a standard like FIRE is that, in theory, uh, we haven't done it yet, in theory we could take and move it from to a different EHR platform and do the same thing. But the right. presentation of those results inside the EMR will be a little bit different, I, I believe, depending upon, you know, if you're using Allscripts or Epic or Cerner or one of the others. Right. And so we'll just have to take a look at that. So uh, it, it yeah. has been a, an extremely interesting uh, and fruitful uh, collaboration through a large group of individuals. Right. And... I know there's always a, a lot of questions surrounding fire, and uh, this seems like a really uh, very very practical use for it that, that can see some pretty uh, quick results. Yeah, I think so. And like I said, you know, it's it's uh, once the framework is there. I mean, it's not to say that it's going to be uh, a cookie cutter implementation, but mm-hmm. uh, you can, depending upon if the resources are available you can do quite a few different things using that same uh, methodology around chief complaint as a trigger. Right. Okay. Now, you, you said something before that was pretty interesting just as far as what IHI tries to do it, it, with working at the speed of our members, but you have yeah. a, a pretty big variety of the types of members. So is that something that's a challenge, just trying to meet the needs of different size and types organizations? Well, I mean, capacity is always an issue. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, what we we can do and what they can do. I mean, it's it's it is a partnership that we have to uh, work at in order to make sure that the requirements that they're asking for one is we have capacity to do since we write our own code uh, and do our own development because there, there's a pretty stringent process we go through to make sure that all the standard processes are met. You know, the code's secure. And uh, so we have a standard uh, implementation and coding practices that that we follow. But it also requires resources on the the member side because they know their data better and their process is better than anybody else. I mean, there's a significant level of testing that we will do, uh, but we'll also make it available to them to do what we call user acceptance testing, to let them take it out on a maiden voyage in a validation environment where it's not going to impact their their production or their live environment and let them see if they can break it uh, and make sure that it works the way that they thought it would. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the, the old diagram of the tire swing and what the folks that wanted it 
thought they were going to get was different than what the system engineer delivered. And so we're trying to make sure we deliver what it, you know, through a lot of conversation and testing uh, what they're actually looking for. Right. But it seems like that, that's just an ongoing uh, goal to just really make sure that you're getting that, that good representation of, of what, what the needs are. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, other thing, we, we have uh, regular meetings with the grand majority of our larger customers, particularly here in Indianapolis uh, and others throughout the state as well. Our customer relationship managers are in contact with them all the time. You know, not, not every uh, member organization has uh, a list of things they, they're working on, but uh, it's, it's interesting to go out and have conversation with the variety of sizes of organizations that are our members, which you know go from very large health systems to critical access hospitals, they all are trying to solve you know very similar issues around uh, the impacts of regula- regulatory change, value-based purchasing, and some of the uh, the new reimbursement methodologies that the payers and the federal government are coming out with. And more and more of those are requiring more data about the patient populations, particularly those that are at risk, mm-hmm. than what that healthcare organization may have within their EMR. Right. And I think that's the, the added advantage to the health care systems in Indiana and the, and the other states that have robust health information exchanges. They have a place to go and get that information or that data, and they don't have to go uh, and try to find that data themselves so they can better manage those patient populations. Right, right. And one of the things that we're starting to hear more about, and I'm sure you do as well, is using social determinants, which, you know, you, you just kind of touched on. Not everyone has access to, to the certain types of information, but it's, I guess, aligning organizations to uh, the right groups or the means to be able to do that. Right. And, and, and we're finding in talking to some of our, our members who are working on that themselves around the social terms of health is where are the good resources to go find those about around patient populations at the Sheik annual conference, we had a presentation by the group that uh, started and is running the 211 uh, out in California, and they struggled themselves trying to find th- those good sources of, of data and information around the social terminus of health, around uh, the, the populations that are particularly at most risk, mm-hmm. uh, and those are the ones that you know you can have the largest impact upon. But trying to find out that, that information and that data is, is difficult at best because what we found and what they found was is a, a large majority of those organizations that are trying to gather this data, there's no standard code sets for you know, certain aspects of it. And so they'll just create their own in order to you know, create that standardization. And so I think if we're going to use that information in a broader sense, uh, specifically around uh, public health and research and analysis and those type of things, we need to establish what those standards are going to be around how that information or that data is actually coded. Uh, Because it's with the coding that we're able to standardize the nomenclature uh, across multiple settings, you know, from New York to California. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.